What has interrupted you as we've gone through the book of Luke? What's like the theme that stands out to you? What is God saying to you? What has God put on your heart? A little bit interactive. Oh, say that again. Okay. All right. Oh, all right. We can go home now. <laughs> all right, what else? Anybody else? About loving people and not calling them out. Okay. Loving people. Loving your detractors. What's a detractor? Okay, who loved their detractors in, in, in Luke? Oh, nice. Cool. All right. What am I? One more? One more? No takers? Okay. Are we in, uh, have we read Luke 19 and 20? We have. Okay. There are several stories in uh, Luke 19 and 20, so many that I'm not going to go through all of them. But uh, is there any particular story that you guys would like to talk about today? I think there's, there's probably nine vignettes. Is there one that you guys would like to talk about in particular? Say it. Surprise you. Okay, I will. So if you've read all nine of those vignettes, all nine of those stories, what is the common theme that we see in 19 and 20? In Luke 19, chapter 19, and Luke 20. Is there a common theme? Yeah? You got quiet. God, I pray that you put on our heart that which you want us to hear right now. Give us the courage to look closely, to hear you, and not be fearful of what you're speaking to each of us. God, we pray that whatever is in the way would, would get out of the way for your glory. And we pray, Father, the blessing that you are, that we would see you more clearly. And we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Okay, we have uh, the story of Zacchaeus that starts out first. And what do we know from that story? Zacchaeus does what? He wants to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus, so he goes out of his way. He's, uh, his stature is a little uh, under average, but he so badly wants to see Jesus that he finds a place, he sees him, Jesus sees him, and he says, I've got to be with you. And just because Zacchaeus is with Jesus, he decides to repent. And he repents according to the Levitical law. And in Leviticus, if you sentence somebody, they have percentages as to what you've done and how you're supposed to respond, how you're supposed to restore them. According to Leviticus, Zacchaeus takes the, the highest form of repentance. He like goes double. Yeah? So we have that story of Zacchaeus and, and one of the things that I don't know what jumps out to you when I read that is there's this level of what, what, what happens when we're humble. 
And when we come in contact with Jesus, when we truly come in contact with Jesus, there's probably not this, this, uh, there's this piece of repentance that comes to us. It's refreshing. Yeah? Just being in his presence. It's something about being closer uh, in proximity to Jesus and the effect that it has. And, and there's a, a reward for that. Uh, Jesus says, after all that goes on, he says, salvation has come to this place this day. Yeah? Then we have the parable of the ten minas, the minas, the minas. We're going to come back to that one because that's the one that we're going we're gonna to jump into. But then you have Jesus' triumphal entry. And along with that, you have Jesus, his survey of the people. And there's this piece where, where Jesus comes in, and there's so much going on in there. But Jesus, he, he, he enters into Jerusalem, and he's going to go to the cross. He's in this last week of life. Yeah? And he goes into Jerusalem, and he, he takes the king's entry, but it's almost backwards. Everything about it is backwards, considering how kings would come into a town. And he comes in, and the people have an idea of who Jesus is. But it's not the right idea, what Jesus' idea is. And Jesus surveys this, and he makes a statement. He says, oh, Jerusalem. Your view is different. If you only knew the kingdom of peace that's, that's in your midst, if you only understood that. But your expectations, your, 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 your preconceived notions of who your king should be have blinded you. You know, it's interesting, when we have different expectations for Jesus, how easy it is and subtle to miss the trueness of Jesus. Then Jesus, he, he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. And there's this interesting concept when we think about our God that he doesn't always change our situation, but he changes us from the inside so that in these situations, we respond more like Jesus. And then we have Jesus' authority being challenged. And I want you to consider this. Can you relate to any of these things? There's the parable of the, the vineyard owner. There's the question about God and Caesar. There's the Sadducees' theological question about the resurrection. 
There's questions about the Messiah. And there's warnings against the scribes. You say, okay, you went through all that, so what? Whatever. If there's anything that you take away from our time this morning, the question that that I'd like for you to ask is, what is the capstone crushing? Where does that come from? There's this piece where Jesus gets after uh, um, the, the, the teachers of the law, and he, he, he says this piece, and he says the meaning of the scripture. He breaks them down. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and if, the stone, and, and if it falls on anyone, it will grind them into powder. Now, there's two things that I want you to categorize the things that the Holy Spirit puts in your, your heart this morning. It's, is the cornerstone crushing, exposing, and this is a word that we haven't used in a very long time because of the misuse that we've experienced with it. Is it exposing your pride? Now, We'll get into the capstone in a minute, but, but there's something I, I, I don't want you. Some of us, we go to this place and we say, oh, I'm a bad person. We all fall short. But there's this piece of, there's this good piece of when you come up against the capstone and your pride is crushed. Yeah? It's like you realize got something wrong here. And you're able to not wrestle with it and say you should be better because there's levels to this. Yeah? There's levels. And when God takes you there, don't be afraid to go there. But to say, okay, that's something that the Lord is trying to deal with in me. And we all have those, and it's in different places. Number two. Is the cornerstone crushing, exposing, and destroying your rebellious arguments? You know, there's something that the capstone does when we come into contact with Jesus. And and this is something that we've seen over and over throughout Luke, is that there are all of these arguments. And Jesus' responses crush those arguments. You ever made a sideways argument because you didn't want to really deal with what was going on? You know what I'm saying? You, you, let, let, let's take this conversation over here and let's get away with, from what's really going on here. What place does the capstone have in your, your, your life? Where does Jesus stand as king in your life? Yeah? The cornerstone. In Isaiah, the cornerstone brings unending joy. Suffering and grief disappear. Stability and protection come from the capstone. Healing comes. Judgment 
of evil. Protection and shelter from heat come. From the cornerstone, peaceful settlement comes. Stability. The ropes are never pulled apart. Yeah? There's stability. The Lord reigns. He is king. Water, rivers flow wide. The flow is unending. War will not enter. Large ships will not pass through the flowing rivers. Jesus is the ruler, the commander, and the king, and he will deliver those. Now, the capstone, in relation to architecture, a capstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure. With all the other stones laid in reference. You get what that means? So you got that first stone that's laid and everything else falls into place behind it to support it and to image bear it. A cornerstone is, is, is mentioning or alluding to something. Who does, who does Jesus allude to? The Father. The capstone is a source of information in order to bring you to a place. The cornerstone marks a geographical location. The cornerstone aligns and or positions something relative to the points. The capstone is a compass. It positions. It brings a building into a specific direction. Is Jesus that for our lives? And when I say this, I, I, I want us to, there, there's areas that he is, yeah? There's areas that you're wrestling with in your life right now. And you're wrestling and God is, is revealing some things and it's difficult and it's probably something that you don't even want to talk about. But this is the beauty of our God. He doesn't look at you and your shortcomings. He doesn't look at you and, and go, oh, you're a bad person and you're never going to make it. You know, one of the things that we realize about God when we look at Luke, when we look at Scripture, is that God is gracious. Yeah? He's merciful. And, and his patience is, is, you can't even define his patience. He's beyond being able to define his patience. And so we see the Pharisees, he's, he's going into Jerusalem, and, and he's still trying to call the Pharisees. He's still trying to call the chief priests. He's still trying to call the scribes to repentance. This is our God. He's always trying to restore you. He's always coming from different angles and trying to reveal to you his love. He's trying to reveal to you what gets in the way of you experiencing his love. He's revealing to, to you like he was revealing to the chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. He's revealing to you what is getting in the way of you being able to live out fully the mission of God. 
to bear his image and to be his people, there are things that get in the way. We're going to take communion shortly. I'd like to to read a passage. And this passage is in Luke chapter 19. It's the 10 minutes starting in verse 11, Luke 19, verse 11. And I'm reading from the Holman Christian. As they were listening to this, he went to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. He called 10 of his slaves, give them 10 minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. And at his return, he received authority to be king, and he summoned those slaves that he had given the money to and he, 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 so, so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, underline this word, your mina has earned 10 more times, 10 more minas. Well done, good slave, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, underline this word, your mina has made five minas. So So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came to him, Master. Here is your minna. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of I was afraid of you for you are a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. If you had knew I was a tough man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, Didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the minna away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, has more will be given, And from the one who does not have, even what he has, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. You know, Jesus is talking about the king. Jesus is talking about the Israelites. And if you go back to, to Isaiah in the Old Testament, there was, there was a charge that the Israelites were given. 
to be a light to the world. And they didn't do it. And the reality of this is when we talk about the, 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 the capstone, the cornerstone, there's a line in there that says, we don't want him to be our king. And the question that I ask you this morning is, do you want Jesus to be your king? Now, here's where we've got to wrestle. In what areas is it most difficult for you to allow Jesus to be your king? Because I believe that as we read Luke, as we Look at the Pharisees. There are a lot of things that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the chief priests, the, the scribes, there are a lot of things that are positive in these people. But there is that one area that they're not willing to allow Jesus to be king in. Does that make sense? There's one area. There's this, hey, I'll come up here and sing, I'll smile, I'll be fired up and all this other stuff. But there's this one area. There's some of us, we want to serve and we want to do our thing, but then there's this one area. And when we look at all of these people that Jesus is calling to repentance, there's a variety, there's a plethora, there's a buffet of responses. There's a buffet and an exposition of those things that folks don't want to give up. You know, the Israelites, they, they, they had all of these pieces. They had all of the resources that God had given them to do what God had called them to do. But they lacked compassion. They lacked empathy. The word I want you to take away, church, is this word trust. Do you trust God? Is there an area that you don't trust God? Because if, if God, if Jesus is the cornerstone, there's this, there's this piece of trusting him with everything. Yeah? Trusting him with your money. Trusting him with your life. Trusting him with your safety. And I'm preaching to myself. We all have these areas that we're, we're guarding, that we're holding on to, that we protect, that we won't let people into. Oh, you ain't getting in here. You can have all of this out here because that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. You can have that. But this right here, that's off limits. And the interesting thing is, who's it off limits to and why is it off limits? Now, who's it off limits to and why is it off limits? If Jesus is the cornerstone, if he is the ruler, the king, if he sets the course and the path and the direction and the way that we should go, and he is, he's calling to, he's patient, he's graceful, and he's merciful to these people that want to kill him. And he's going to go to the, the cross in spite of their response. And still for them. What are the implications for us? What does that mean for us? Do we only give ourselves to people that we feel comfortable with? You know, there's this piece that we see throughout the, the, the first, second century, third century, the Christians that, that they gave their lives. And because we don't necessarily have to give our lives, I think we've become comfortable 
Yeah? We become comfortable with being comfortable. And we have these areas in our lives where we want to be comfortable. I can sing, but I don't want to come up here and sing because I'm going to be vulnerable. I don't want to give myself to anybody because I don't want to be rejected. I don't want people to know me because if they know me, they won't like me. We don't want that person to do that because they're not the right reflection of, of God. Imagine being one of those Pharisees, yeah? And what Jesus was calling them to give up. What would it mean for you to give up that which you don't want to trust God with? And as I ask you that question, please don't, don't run away from how you preconceive what would happen if you did that. Well, if I did that, this person would take advantage of me. Well, if I did that, I'd open myself up to this. Well, if I did that, I wouldn't have anything. Well, if I did that, I might ever, I'd never get this. Is that just me? There's some area in our lives, church, where, where God is calling us via Jesus, via his Holy Spirit, to die to self. Unless a single seed falls to the ground and dies. Yeah? I want you to imagine what that would be like if we all said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and turn myself in. Jesus really, really is my friend. God really is a good, good father. Yeah? You know, in this story, it's, it's interesting because we have these moments that bring us into this picture. And for them, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for a nobleman to go to Rome and to get crowned king and to come back and, and to do his thing and for people to not want him to be king. Yeah? It exposes us. Is there an area where you don't want Jesus to be king? Better yet, is there an area where Jesus has been replaced by another king? Can we go there for a second? I'll just share some, some of mine. And you guys are already like, man, brother, man, that guy. Alcohol. I drink alcohol to soothe, yeah, my anxiety. Relationships to soothe my anxiety. Reading a ton of books to soothe my anxiety. Yeah? Finding people that, that, that you know, agree with to soothe my anxiety. Oh, you're not such a bad person. You know, we all have these things. Is, is that resonating with you? We, we have these things, and I believe that, that the God is saying right now, let those things go, I'll take care of you. 
But our first response is, well, I don't know if I can drop this because if I drop this, what if you don't do it right now? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, come outside. Well, what's going to happen if I come outside? Are, are you going to be out there waiting for me to hold my hand and walk with me and protect me? I'll be there. Hold on a second. That doesn't mean that, that nothing will happen, right? When a sinful world is what it is, I'll be with you. Yeah? Is God being with us good enough? You know, when I read all those, 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 those prophecies from Isaiah, you know, it's after they didn't allow God to be king. They didn't follow him. He wasn't the cornerstone, yeah? And it says, someday, this is what's going to happen. Is someday enough? Church, I'm saying this to say this. We won't be as effective as we could possibly be. We won't be as dangerous as, as Jesus or vessels to be as Jesus, those image bearers, unless we're willing to die, unless we're willing to give up everything, unless we're willing to give up our egos, unless we're willing to give up our comfort, unless we're willing to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth, whatever you say. Now, like the Pharisees and like anybody else in Scripture, we're all afforded that choice. Here's what I need you to understand. I can't force you to do it. Did God ever say, hey, man! Don't eat of the fruit. Or else, stand over, walk behind him. Anytime that we're tempted, he's tempted to be bitter, resentful, yeah? Tempted to allow our pride, yeah, to come up. Is, is God behind us going, and we always oh, snap back into it. Now, there's a conscience that we have, but there's this piece that if we don't respond, we can get hard-hearted, yeah? And then the Holy Spirit doesn't have that much effect on us because we have hard hearts. But look how Jesus treats hard hearts. How should we treat hard hearts? Is that how Jesus won things? He won them through love, yeah? Now, how many of us, when we hear that word love, we go, yeah. My love levels, and my love level for so-and-so is like. Now, let me ask you this. If your love level is that low, why is it that low? Yeah? Now, this is something that you can only get from God. You can't manufacture it by yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah? I mean, you can do a little bit, but there'll always come that point. It's like, yeah, I'm not going there. 
But you see Jesus? You see where he's willing to go? That's the cornerstone. And when we allow the cornerstone to be what brings us into alignment and we're honest with ourselves and we just say, yeah, I'm hard-hearted. Yeah, I can see where I'm prideful here. I mean, think about it. Jesus is talking about one thing. And everybody's like, well, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about when people die, who's going to who, who's, who's gonna be married to this woman? If seven brothers marry this woman, who's going to be married to her in heaven? You don't see Jesus like, I don't know if he's making faces and all this other stuff, but it's just like, he's <laughs> like, okay, I'll amuse you. Okay, so, so let's talk about paying tax. Okay, this, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? We're really saying that because we want to catch you up. We, we, we want to we bring up a reason to not follow you. And every single time Jesus answers, he's like, whose face is on this? Well, Caesar's, okay, Caesar, what's, what's Caesar's? But whose face is on you? Whose image are you in? Give them all that. Friends, I'm not performing for you. I'm participating in an act of worship with you. And we're being called to respond to the scriptures. We're being called to look at the scriptures and really be honest with ourselves. The goal is, is that you have conversations. Okay, cool. You guys have conversations beyond this time, and you're talking about what the cornerstone, what Jesus is doing, what he's crushing in you, what arguments you're making, why you're making those arguments, praying for each other, looking at scripture. You know, one of the, the, the telltale signs of, of the cornerstone crushing your rebellious arguments is when your arguments don't align with scripture. I asked somebody, what are you wrestling with? Oh, traditions. How many of those traditions are really in scripture? Well, if we don't do that, what do we have? We're going to be open to this and we're going to be open to that. But you'll also be open to Jesus. What is the cornerstone crushing in you? What is the cornerstone crushing in us? The way we are as individuals is how we respond collectively. Does that make sense? There's a communal piece of being Christians that we have to own, but it starts with us. We have challenges. We're going through it. But Jesus is with us. The question becomes, will you allow him to be with you? and to do the work that he's doing in you and only you. As we take communion, be reminded of God's patience, his grace, and his mercy, and his belief that his work isn't done in you. And his times table isn't tomorrow or yesterday. He's always on time.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace, your patience, and mercy. We, we are grateful for what you will do beyond this room. We're grateful for what you will do beyond this time. We're grateful for what you're doing in the midst of struggle. Father, thank you so much for the constant reminder of suffering and the cross and the goodness that comes from it. Father, as we embrace being your image bearers, as we embrace what you're doing and the difficulty in it and, and the honesty and God, why did you put us here? Why did you do this to me? Why am I where I'm at? Why do I have to deal with what I deal with? Couldn't Jesus have said that so easily? Thank you so much that he went the distance so that we could know you. Thank you so much for his leadership that oftentimes doesn't look like leadership, but his life is all the leadership that we need. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the implications. We thank you for the suffering and the struggle. And we thank you for the way that you bring us in and bring us out and bring us back in again. And our faith, if we respond correctly, gets stronger. It's only because you're a good, good father. It's only because you control everything. And you allow to happen what happens. But ultimately, you will be glorified. Thank you so much for this time to remember Jesus, the cross, the resurrection the power and life we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.